and welcome to the Life of Die podcast. Last year we had game designer and writer Gav Thorpe on the podcast to discuss how he and Andy Chambers created the 2000 AD system for Warlord Games Strontium Dog Miniatures game. Now Gav makes his triumphant return to give us his lowdown on the latest game in Warlord's 2000 AD catalogue. Slain. Hi Gav, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing good, thank you. Good. Thanks for coming back on. It's great to talk to you again. So, just getting straight into it then. As mentioned in the preamble, you had been heavily involved with Andy on the Strontium Dog Miniatures game. So, it must have been pleasing for you to rekindle that partnership for Slain. Yes, yes, it was. You know, as much as it was nice to get the old band back together for, for Strontium Dog, it was good to do the same for Slain. I sort of I missed out on the Dread game just due to timing and schedule issues as much as anything else. So Andy went off and did that with uh, Roger, Roger Garish and that. So yeah, it was, it was nice to come back in and, and tackle another favourite topic from my youth <laughs> in 2000 AD. And yeah, and I always, you know, I've always enjoyed working with Andy and I think we have a nice overlap in the way our skill sets and our particular uh, expertises work together. So it seems to be a good combo. Absolutely. And speaking of the source material, I was wondering in relation to Slain, how you were feeling about that when it came to, you know, you realised that was the next game that you were going to be doing. Because the setting was, you know, pretty radically different with it being fantasy over science fiction. Presumably that made it a bit more of a, a daunting prospect than if it had been, say, Rogue Trooper or Bad Company or something like that. Yeah, I mean, that was basically the first thing we identified was the system was going to have to change any game system. You know, you have a shift from mainly range combat through out style to back and forth swords and axes and shields sort of thing. So yeah, that that was definitely top of the agenda. And initially, the rules Andy originally worked on were, were quite a bit different. And actually, what we ended up doing and what Andy ended up doing was reining things back quite a lot, back to that core 2000 AD set of rules. On the basis that actually it did work, but it didn't need too much fiddling in terms of how things actually worked. So to, to make sure there was that familiarity for players of Strontium Dog of Just Dread. So they will have to learn some new things if they, they come across the slain. But actually, 95% of it they will know already. Whereas before, it was probably one point it was actually quite different. It was like, you know, 80% of the rules were there, but there was quite, you know, combat work quite differently and things. But uh, we decided to get around it by cheating, basically, like we did with... Um, Strontium Dog can just use the cards <laughs> rather than rather to do the to do the, the different things and to change the emphasis rather than worrying about the act of trying to come up with very specific kind of crunchy mechanics at the heart of the system and and also just to you know again scenario wise that affected sort of like the way you kind of set up the games and and in particular with Slain the number of kind of like non-character combatants is quite high you know you definitely want Slain cutting down foes to the left and the right sort of thing, uh, which you can't really do if there's lots of very powerful characters. So actually there's a, I wouldn't say necessarily an emphasis, but there's just a bit more scope for the groups of like basically non-character models of like Earth Tribesmen and Dune Warriors and stuff. Uh, and essentially in most scenarios you get to recycle them. So you have, without having lots of models on the table, you still have this idea, you still have kind of like a slightly more endless minions being thrown at the enemy to be cut down kind of feel to it. So that was key again to getting slightly more of that fantasy slain flavor into the game mm-hmm. and i suppose just before we get into all the kind of detail obviously the starting point would have been going back to the slain strip and about like the process you went through with strontium dog where you had to then revisit all the strips i remember you when you were on the last time you said that you discovered 2000d through best of 2000d monthly was that also the first place you encountered slain and if so i was wondering which tale it was Yes, so yes, so it was again one of uh, one of my early early encounters with Slain was the series of uh, episodes with the Skyships and South Rock. Mm. 
which um, was very influential on me. It's why we've definitely got like those characters are in the base game. <laughs> <Things like that. laughs> Yeah, so that was my introduction. Really, what was to from like sort of like uh, the Wicker Man onwards. I think I, I think the first one I read was he was escaping from. He'd been captured and was putting the Wicker Man him and Akko escape and rescuing Maeve, and then she's not happy, and then they end up getting entangled with Slough Rot and going on the sky ships and getting attacked by undead pirates and things. As Slough Egg sends his minions after Slough Rot. So yeah, that was that was my introduction to Slane, and it was a very good one. Uh, lots of great Mick McMahon artwork. Uh, but also, it was a very good encapsulation, actually, of the different powers. The particularly seeing Flouth Rot and the Drunes, and they sort of they go to Drune Haven and all that kind of stuff. So it was very you got an insight actually into the Drune side of stuff that you don't necessarily get to see in a lot of the Slain comics because mm-hmm. it's like a bit of an because it's an internal battle between Rot and Feg. Basically, I think Rot has found Feg's big book of plan of world destruction, and he's suddenly like, "Oh, I'm not sure I want to destroy the world. I quite like being on it." <laughs> Uh, and so there's a, there's a bit of a, an infighting thing. So yeah, that was it really. And then later on, obviously, I either was able to backfill some of the earlier uh, slain stuff, but we're then reading forward then. And most particularly, what we wanted to focus on for this was the the original idea intent was to focus on the horned god. So basically, that the episode of slain's life when so slain's become king. Mm-hmm. And South Egg and the Druins are, you know, their, their major assault on the lands, land of the young and the earth tribes and stuff. And they're basically, basically the final battle. But by necessity, obviously, we ended up having to sort of like branch out from that slightly because there were characters, characters like South Rock who kind of came from slightly other periods of Slane's life. The one bit we didn't really mess with was the Time Wars stuff and, and all the weird kind of L Wars and, and, you know, stuff with the Great Worm where Slain and various others start having running around with laser guns and stuff like that. Mm. Uh, sorry, you know, like Earth laser magic guns, um, <laughs> which may, maybe at some point in the future, but that, that, was a, that was a thing in its own almost like a subset of the Slain mythos almost. Yeah. But the, yeah, very much definitely that amazing Simon Bisley horned god episodes that sort of like relaunched Slane really uh, in many ways well it was definitely the the catalyst for most of the scenarios the campaign and most of the characters that are in there is that really your favorite storyline the horn god i don't know really i, I don't think i said it's my favorite but it's not because i don't dislike it it's just that it's hard to separate that from some of the really original Slane, like the Slane the adventurer kind of like there's a certain joy to like just slain going around on these adventures mm. before the kind of slightly bigger epic more epic stuff of slain the king and slain you know the horned god stuff whereas he's a much more conan like just going off and have, getting in fights with people and meeting people and and that kind of stuff and there's always the backdrop of the fights you know the war against the drones and stuff but he's deliberately ignoring it you get more variety i think from that but i think it segues nicely you know like the story ramps up quite nicely into the horned god and then like i say some of the glory of saying the king was kind of filled in later and stuff so but again that's kind of is that nostalgia speaking because i was slightly you know those were the stories that i encountered in those early impressionable teen years and again the artwork you know mick McMahon, glenn fabry bellard and ellie those three particularly kind of set the tone for me for what slane looked like and what comic strips could look like so i loved Simon Bisley's art, but it's such a departure, such a different beast, I think, from what came, you know, the full colour, full painted art of the Horned God. It's just a completely different thing to the you know, the black and white monochrome early kind of 2000 AD sort of style that, you, you know, they're, they're both lovely, but in different ways. But I think as a coherent story, the Horned God has had a little bit, it's got a little bit more central kind of motif and narrative to it for us to hang just some scenarios and a game around. 
Yeah, and, and I'm the same, about the nostalgia thing, because I think the Time Killer uh, arc is actually my favourite, because it, same as you, Best of 2000 AD, and I read the whole arc in that, and I, I think that was what, well, yeah. when I first got it, so I, I think that's why I gravitate towards it, but yeah, having read the whole thing, collected all the, the graphic novels now, yeah. I agree. It doesn't really reflect the strip at large. I just quite like the wildness of it. <laughs> it's oh, no, just absolutely. complete madness. But uh... that, Well, that's the thing. And it's just Pat Mills just going off and doing the thing, you know, and just doing some crazy stuff, which is cool. I mean, again, at the time when most of the fantasy and sci-fi outside of 2000 that I was reading was quite staid and quite predictable and stuff, something like slain and, you know, and like having magic lasers and all that kind of thing was radical, you know, just like, wow, this is just look, this is not like anything else I've read or, you know, seen. So, obviously, I've been kind of broadened since then, but yeah, I mean, it, it just showed that, you know, swords and sorcery doesn't have to be just knights and castles and uh, pseudo-medieval. And it's been, been a, a little window into kind of Celtic mythology and that kind of stuff. Again, very much kind of massaged and put together in a certain way and things, but actually, that was... I think for quite a few people, that would have been their introduction into some of those concepts of like the Earth Goddess and those kind of Celtic beliefs and things like that. So along with several other things, do that indeed being part of my education. <laughs> yeah, mine too. I was wondering actually if when you when you revisited the material, the original source material, if there was any material that you thought would be challenging to bring to the tabletop. I think the trickiest thing was that like I say, aside from like the the kind of combatants in, in the Horned God, actually, because Slane moves around and counts so many different people, uh, but for very short periods of time, there's quite an imbalance, really, of characters. You know, Shronty Dog was quite easy because there's lots and lots of Shronty Dogs, and quite a lot of them are friends with Johnny Alpha, and there's a lot of outlaws that are opposed to him, and then ones that are in between and stuff like that. So getting a cast of characters for both sides that can mix and match and, and swap over and stuff was quite easy. There's a much more definite break, obviously, although in the rules, not so much, but, you know, there's a more definite break between, you know, Slain's side and the Droon side and things. But actually, the characters just aren't quite strong, I don't think, necessarily. I mean, there's a few really good ones, like South Rock that stand out and stuff, uh, and, and several other ones that we've managed to pick out. But I think until you get into, like, the Time War stuff, there's not anyone that you, is massively archetypal that you think, oh, right, actually, they need to be in the rule book and things. Uh, there's just a few. So that was one of the things, like, say, to kind of balance that out of, like, okay, well, we need to make sure that we can have what feels like a company of skull swords that you can take out and things like that, and then focus on the really distinct characters that come up from the strip. But yeah, I mean, reading back on it, I suppose there's much more obvious phases to Pat Mills' writing than compared to Strongly Dog. You know, Strongly Dog is just, like, lots of adventures of Strongly Dog. Until you get, you know, like I say, until, like, later on when they had some different artists in and they were going back in time and then they were, all that kind of stuff. But the, the basic Carlos Escarrera runs of Strongly Dog, I know, aside from Portrait of a Mutant, which is kind of a bit like The Time Wars, you know, it's a bit of a, like a story within a story. You know, it's, it's, it's very consistent, whereas actually there are definite phases to slain of slain the Wanderer, slain the Young, actually, then building up the Time Wars and then slain the King. Well, actually, kind of jump forward really into Horned God. And although they all connect, there's not too much overlap with some. There's only a few characters that really overlap as well. So that's what what we tried to focus on really was like, well, if we've got the Horned God as the centre of this, and so we've got the various kings and their magic items and all that kind of stuff, and the druids and the priestesses and stuff on the other side, uh, and then Slain and a few of his followers, you go, well, that gave us enough characters, but actually who else kind of stands out as being worthy of attention from the other strips without getting too dragged into the Time War stuff? 
and there wasn't that too many really so we were able to kind of keep a lid on how big the range was going to be and stuff but it gives us room to kind of go and if there's the appetite there warlord there's plenty of, as with all of these there's plenty of material to delve into yeah should we need more stuff later but also just as a, again as a coherency for the game not include too much of the time war stuff because again it's just it has a different style to it and storytelling slightly different um would might want slightly different types of scenarios and things. I'd see it as kind of almost like a little supplement fighting the time was in using slain rather than it being part of the core rules. Same way that you know the killing, for instance, isn't exactly the same as Jaunty Dog. You can use all the same stuff, but its setup and its kind of presentation is slightly different within the context of the game, even if it's just part of the same universe. So yeah, it's been I wouldn't say tricky, but just it was like I think it was probably a little just a little harder. You know, it's like actually, yeah, these are the most distinctive, really distinctive characters compared to, say, Johnny Dog, which like just had a cast of hundreds that we could choose from if we wanted to. Yeah, I was wondering then, like, how it kind of works with the partnership, what the kind of main aspects of the game were that you would do. I mean, is, is it mostly collaboration, or do you kind of section it off that you'll do this kind of section, or and Andy does another section? Yeah, we pretty much repeated the formula we used for Johnny and Dog, which was Andy was focused on the rules side of stuff and i looked more at the scenarios and campaign and then there was some overlap in terms of the card play which in slain cards kind of split into feats which are like special close combat abilities and boons which are basically magic spells and so andy have handled the feats because that was kind of intrinsic as we say we kind of use that to add the emphasis to the combat system and make it more of a swords and axes kind of game using the feet cards and the boon cards are a bit more like tied into the magic system the blood point system which is in itself also tied into the scenario and campaign system so that seemed like the natural fault line really was like yeah okay well i'll handle even though they're kind of gameplay rules they tie into the scenarios in quite a, a significant way and so, and that was part of the similar process, really, of, of the previous games, just going through and saying, what cool stuff from the ships do we want to put in? And does that, is that a feat? Is it like the salmon leap, or he didn't think it too many? Or is it like, you know, eyes without life and uh, soured lands and stuff like that, uh, which become boons? So, again, that's quite a collaborative section where we just have like a Google Doc that we just put ideas in and page references and then we'll pinch one or another idea or whatever and just and allocate like a mechanic to it, whether it's in a scenario or on a card or might end up in a character ability or whatever, you know. So the stuff that we want to take from the strip ends up in the game somewhere. But that worked quite well, I think. It's like Andy was able to like I say he concentrated on the rules, which ended up if you look at the final result you'd think, well that wasn't very much work there because they're not that different. But actually the arc of starting with not many changes, going through quite a lot of changes, and then realizing and coming back to actually not changing much at all was quite a lot of work. <laughs> um, and, and then using other things, like say, like the feet cards, particularly to do the job, do the heavy lifting of conveying the, the fantasy feel to it and the boons. So you'd think, yeah, you'd go, oh, it's just still the Johnny Dog system. You must have just sat back for three months and I had to do all the work with snows. But it wasn't, it wasn't quite like that. No, absolutely. Just because you mentioned the bin cards there, um, the cards are one of the things I absolutely love about the system, and I just think they must be absolutely brilliant fun for you guys as designers, because you've got that bit of artwork from the strip, so it's, they're always kind of pulling from the strip, and you know, having that connection in the tabletop back to the, the source material, which I just think is brilliant as a fan of both gaming and the strip, so I've yeah. always really, really appreciated that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm guessing you had a bit of fun coming up with those for the bin cards. Yes, yeah, as I say, it's, it's just it's just kind of cool to see that 
like I say, a particular piece of art or a sequence or a thing from the stories and just think how to get it into the game. And, and some of them are just, you know, like I say, very obvious, easy hits that you just think about, you know, he didn't think it too many and stuff like that. Uh, and there are other ones where you go, actually, you know, we've kind of got a mechanic that we really work nicely and that would be a good effect to have. And then trawling through trying to find something from the strips that kind of equates close, close enough to it. It's like, okay, that's that kind of works. That'll be close enough. We can use that. Uh, and particularly we've got on the boon cards, because again, they split into earth magic and sour magic. So, you know, the sour magic, we've got lots of kind of cool stuff from Freg himself. He's got his entire speech of eyes without life, sundered heads, piles of carcasses. You know, these things are pleasing to me. So that's that became several cards, whereas actually the, there's some just great, again, just crazies and things like that, which we get into the earth magic, like the, the head harvest and the thirst maddened axe and the a fullness of corpses and stuff. So again, there's just this nice little turns of phrase that Pat Mills used via Slane or Ucko when they're describing violence and stuff like that. So, <laughs> uh, and like, yeah, I think it does, it's very important that that's part of the game that it it adds that flavor that it allows you to recreate you know it feels like you're playing a story on the tabletop mm-hmm. and we carry you know like i say we try to carry that through from the in a different way say because essentially the feats you know they kind of they tie into we have this kind of cosmic alignment system and stuff which are, you know can affect which feats you can play on who and when and stuff but essentially they're just kind of like special abilities that a character might have in the same way that donny alpha always has whichever piece of war gear or you know kit that he needs for narrative reasons but doesn't have it any other time you know <laughs> like he doesn't, doesn't always have time bombs or you know he always seems to just have one like number four cartridge or whatever but when he needs to play somewhere else it's the same sort of thing if we didn't want to have an endless list of abilities for slain just to, you know do all this cool stuff so actually no what, what's the two cool narrative things i mean he always had warp out which obviously uh, was a whole thing in itself and working out how Slay's warped spasms were going to work because you know that's like almost central to the slain story but we didn't want to necessarily have him warping out every battle because that's like well very powerful for a start and he doesn't warp out every battle but you wanted there always to be a possibility and how to deal with that sort of thing so again that's um included in sort of like the unique feats so we use the feat system to give uh, certain characters uh, and the boons to give certain characters just abilities or spells that they would have without having to make it a special rule unto itself. There was a system to use um, so they could do some of the stuff that they do from the strip without having to say in one particular battle they could do everything they do from the strip. I would unbalance it as well, I suppose, if it was able to <laughs> go crazy all the yeah. time. Yeah, well, that's it, yes. yeah. And it doesn't do it all the time in the strips, so you're right, absolutely. I was wondering if there was any ideas um, in relation to those cards that you'd had that you'd wanted to include, but you just couldn't figure a way out either to get them into the game or how they would actually work in the game. No, not really. There was an idea early on with the South Egg's soliloquy about you know his eyes without life thing, was that actually you'd play them in sequence. He'd so actually make the speech by playing three cards in a row sort of thing. Um, build up the speech and build up the effects but it was just too awkward to, for that to actually work it didn't it was just too fiddly so they all just became separate cards but that was about the only thing well, some of it we just covered in other ways so so there's a, a system in the game called, called blood points which uh, are used for they're just a kind of catch-all points thing really but they're used to power boons you earn them for defeating enemies in particularly spectacular fashion but also you can earn them by basically character spending actions and speechifying you know, uh, of essentially declaring, you know, shouting at each other and declaring how they're going to, you know, turn their heads into cups and whatever else. Because, <laughs> um, 
because that's part of the script. So we didn't want to have loads of specific rules about threats and and that kind of stuff. But actually, just saying, well, if you want to, you know, because they all spout on, you know, South Fag and South Rot and and Ucko and others all have these little speeches now and again, or Slane does about what they're going to do to each other or what their grand plans are. And essentially, they become exhortations to the gods. They give you a blood point, or there's a chance of giving, getting a blood point for it, which you can then spend on boons. Certain scenarios, you have to dedicate blood points to, like, an altar to your god. You can use them. One of the things that we did uh, was very much try and incorporate the landscape and the terrain into it, because, again, that's quite a thing, this idea of the Droon Sourlands eating up the Tuatha Danan. So the terrain can have alignments <laughs> of like being either Droon Sour magic aligned or Earth magic aligned, or so you can use blood points and, and kind of and stuff uh, and certain characters to either bless them or sour them and stuff, and then they give you certain bonuses and things like that. So it's quite a dynamic battlefield as well, so which gives you this idea. The whole idea of just how do we encapsulate this big cosmic battle between the Droons and the followers of the great, you know, Crom Crack and, and those of the Earth tribes without having to come up with a really massive system. And that, you know, we just decided to mutate the cards that we've had from previous games and turn them into that thing. I think that's been one of the, the most useful aspects from Frontium Dog is just coming up with the armory and the chicanery cards and then being able to just change what they do and their role in the game. But as a basis of just like, well, all the cool narrative stuff, not all the cool, most of the cool narrative stuff can get used here. Uh, I think that's probably been one of the most persistent mechanics, I suppose, or persistent principles from Strontium Dog that will carry through all of the 2000 AD games. Because then that does allow the, the main system to remain relatively unchanged from game to game, even though this does play very differently um, with the way the boons and the feats work. It's not the same as playing Stronti Dog, but you don't really have to learn a whole load of new mechanics. That's one of the things, because <laughs> I, I seem to be finding it more and more difficult these days to uh, get on board with rules and, and take <laughs> them in and, and so on. So it's something that I really personally appreciate uh, with, the, with the 2000 AD system. Moving on to the scenarios then, did the switch in setting from a futuristic game of ranged combat to a fantasy environment where close combat was king, did that have a profound effect on how you looked at the scenario design then? Uh, it did in a way, yeah. I suppose the the encounters are just different between sort of like the sort of things that happen in Strunching Dog and the sort of stories that happen in Slain. And, you know, as I've just been mentioning, and, and making them feel part of this wider, broader, bigger narrative of, of the Druids and the, the Earth tribe. Because in theory, if you're playing Strunching Dog, you don't have to include Johnny Alpha. It is conceivable that you play Slain without actually Slain in your force. So while we wanted the scenarios to be reminiscent of Slain's adventures, they couldn't be so specific we didn't want it to be like, this is Slane's escape from the Wicker Man. This is the battle on the skyships. But what you could do is use the, the templates of the scenarios and go, actually, yeah, this one could be used as the escape from the Wicker Man. This one could be used as a, you know, as the, the battle for the skyships or whatever it is. So there's like a taking the stories, but then having to apply a degree of abstraction so they create a scenario that you can use with different forces and different characters rather than just being straight refights. And the main... <laughs> Particularly for, for Slane, the main lesson from Sponty Dog, but particularly with the boons and everything else going on and the scenery being changeable and stuff, was actually to keep the scenarios a lot more straightforward. So they are just scenarios. There's a template of set up like this, you do this. There isn't any of the kind of like, there isn't like the toolbox of scenario creation that we put into Strontium Dog because that was 
you know, that was very much like the structure of that, the idea of the setup and the, the encounter and then the payoff was very much the structure of the stories, whereas Slain doesn't work quite the same way. It's just, you know, things happen. So the scenarios are just like, there's just six scenarios and you play them. There isn't too much engineering going into creating who does what, you know. Occasionally you have an attacker or a defender and, and things like that. And a lot of them revolve around the blood point system. Well, yeah, pretty much using the, the blood point system. Sometimes it might use the cosmic alignment system, which essentially affects which boons and stuff you have. Uh, so as well as having a physical aspect to them of, for example, that one I'm just looking up here is full attack. You know, that does what it says on tin. You know, it's just a, a fight, really. But one side is attackers and defenders, and the attackers have more to spend on models, but they don't get to use reinforcements. And the defenders do get to use reinforcements, for instance. So, But then on the top of that, there's always a section on the cosmic balance. So in this one, uh, the attacking player starts with more blood points, for instance. So they have slightly different advantages to and disadvantages. So it's a, that's a nice asymmetric fight. And a lot of them are quite like that. There's a couple of them where you're trying to do the same thing, but quite often it's, it's an ambush or some other, say, asymmetric encounter so that you get a bit more story that way. Uh, and quite a lot of them are about capturing stuff. Or There's always the default of every scenario, as we said before, like, where you can kill all the other guys and, and, and then achieve your aims. That's always there. <laughs> but hopefully the scenarios are interesting enough and they're rewarding enough that you try to accomplish the scenarios at the same time. The ideal for me is a scenario where you have to kind of fight and create an opportunity then to then achieve the scenario's aims while you've got the advantage in the physical fight, you know, the normal fight, and then win rather than having to wipe out the enemy or whatever to win. I think that has carried through the, the, system, you know, the system in the previous games as well. So, yeah, it, it definitely works for me that, you know, having played it, <laughs> played quite a lot of uh, various games with the system, I, I do think that comes across pretty strongly that yeah you can definitely particularly more with dread and strontium dog you can get a bit bogged down if you want <laughs> with the range combat if it can become the thing but yeah it's, it's much more interesting to go for those those things that the, the scenario is about definitely I've, I've thought that throughout yes yeah i mean there's a different i think you get a bit of this with strong dog but you definitely get it with slain because it's close combat there's kind of like a moment of commitment because once you get stuck in like i say i mean you know if you're doing a gunfight, you can kind of skirt to cover to cover and keep, you know, like I say, kind of skirmishing almost. Whereas, I mean, Slain, you know, he's he's not mindless, but, you know, it's like he's used is getting stuck in and hitting things. And then whoever else you've got on your side <laughs> trying to drop, maybe, do, you know, if you've got Nest Narco and, you know, some Earth Tribe Warriors or whatever, them trying to either keep the enemy from ganging up on Slain too much or running around, you know, trying to use the blood points that he's generating by cracking skulls and stuff. Because similarly, Slough Feg is quite powerful, but you don't necessarily want him to run straight into Slain full on, but if he can get some blood points going and use his boons and, and that kind of stuff. And ultimately, he is one of the hardest models to kill. So if you need to he commit and stop Slain, then you can use Slough Feg to do that. But actually, as you know, we played a he can be quite hard, but as we know with Johnny Alpha and Dread and stuff like that, it's like once you do sort of like knock them down a bit, once you've lost a point or two of cool, then suddenly they're just really not as clever as they used to be. You know, you have to be a lot more cagey because it's quite easy for even quite powerful characters to spiral down if you start getting too cocky with them. And it's the same here, you know, Slane can charge in and, and kind of chop heads with the best of them, but actually he can just like lose his momentum or, you know, one bad die roll and losing a point or two of, of his um, cool and his fight, and then suddenly he's just a guy with an axe, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and ultimately he's not a one-man army. You still need to try and either 
support him or play the scenario, you know, try and remember to fulfill the scenario needs. And most of them were all about this kind of the cosmic battle there one way or another, because we kind of focused on that idea. So you're you're dedicating a shrine or you're trying to regain the favour of your god. So in that one, for instance, you don't actually start with any feats or boons. You have to earn blood points and then buy your feats and boons during the game. There's other ones where we play around with reinforcements and building up. There's almost like a meeting engagement type one and that kind of thing. So the idea is if if you wanted to, you could just play through the six scenarios in order as a kind of mini campaign almost, like a narrative. There's a bit of a building up. So you start off with kind of skirmishing over this sacred site trying to dedicate it to your gods. And then one side gets, as so I kind of sending for reinforcements, one side kind of gets jumped. And then the call to arms goes out and it's more straight fighting, which builds up to the full attack scenario. And then finally, you have the flux of power, which is just very much based on the number of blood points you've earned and who has ascendancy, uh, which of the gods has ascendancy. And then finally, uh, you have a god's favour. So following that, one of you would be unfavoured and you have to end up, you know, in the last battle, if you'd lost the flux of power battle, I'd say that maybe you played in God's favour as the unfavoured, and you have to regain the favour of your god or lose the campaign kind of thing. So there's a, there's a bit of a narrative there without even getting stuck into the actual campaign mechanics. Do you have a personal favourite, or is that a bit of a Sophie's choice or all your... <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. I quite like the one, the flux of power, actually. Which basically means it's more like you're more likely to have the the magical terrain, and there's much more kind of cosmic ascendancy stuff going on, and uh, and and it's kind of this tug of war, this magical tug of war that's going on with the blood points and things like that. But you're also trying to capture objectives while you're doing it as well. So there's a, I think that's that's like encapsulates that physical and cosmic battle in one. So you you can make tactical choices based on, you know, like I've got to capture this objective and stuff, but sometimes like actually what I need to do is I need to like just spend a turn calling on the gods and trying to get some more blood points because I need to gain the regain the ascendancy because you can't actually capture objectives while you don't have the ascendancy. So it's a bit like, you know, table tennis or badminton or whatever, like you have to have the serve. And then score points or whatever. So there's a double, you know, there's a number of things you're juggling at the same time. You can't just run off and capture objectives and win. It's like there's other things you need to do to make sure you've got the ascendancy when you capture objectives and stuff. So, yeah, it's not particularly complicated, but there's a lot going on. There's a lot to think about for what's essentially, you know, guys running around with axes and swords hitting each other. <laughs> no, absolutely. And seeing as you mentioned the campaign system there, when I mean, you referenced that about if you played all the missions through that, it could be a single campaign. I was wondering if you could talk a bit about how you designed the campaign system for slaying. Obviously, the tribe system had to be at its heart. Yes, yeah. Well, that was there was two things really that I I used as the core, which was one. Yeah, you're there is a a divide. There are the equivalent of goodies and baddies, or uh, a sort of or, or gods that you serve. Uh, and the other thing was I wanted. I was looking at just general, kind of general campaign systems and, and this of of the different titles that 2080 had this seemed the most appropriate one to do a territory based system because it is the battle for the lands you know and them changing hands and either being used for the glory of the earth goddess or being sucked dry by Konkarak and stuff like that so it made the most sense to be this is the most in some ways a quite a traditional campaign system because you're fighting over territorial areas and control of those areas gives you certain abilities and powers and stuff which be familiar to quite a lot of campaign systems uh, and the likes of Necromunda and and things like that. But of course, I didn't want it to just be about that because as with the scenarios, that's kind of like the physical battle, but all of that is only kind of one side of the cosmic battle. So actually you choose one of four gods to serve. So 
And and the idea being, you play the part of that god, really. You don't play as one particular champion. So actually, unlike, say, Strontian Dog, where you pick a leader and then, and then you have various other outlaws or uh, SD agents kind of like following them, and then and you kind of chart their successes and, and failures across the campaign. In this one, you're more, uh, it's a bit more step back, slightly more abstract. So you're, you have access to your champions or your tribe and you have a bit more freedom to pick and choose who you use from game to game. You don't necessarily have a fixed roster in quite the same way as you do in Strontium Dog. So you can basically serve Danu, the Earth Goddess. You have Lug, the Sun God. Uh, there's Krom Kruak, the Worm of Decay. And then there's Karnan, who's the Horned God, the God of Hunt. Uh, and each of those, there's a little bit of a nod, I suppose, to kind of like the classic Warhammer chaos campaign, in a sense, I suppose, in that, you know, you, you get boons from your particular god, and depending on who they are, you get slightly different things, and they've got slightly different victory conditions and all that kind of stuff, depending on who you follow, and whether you use earth magic or sour magic or a mix of the two and stuff like that uh, makes a difference. And then essentially what you're trying to do is you're, you're battling for dominance, a tribal dominance, essentially. You're trying to... Which it gives us an opportunity for Earth Tribe versus Earth Tribe was the idea as well, because uh, or Droon versus Droon. I didn't want it just to be, well, what somebody has to pick good guys and somebody has to pick bad guys, and you only fight each other. So even amongst the Earth Tribes, they're all still trying to be on top. They're still attacking each other and fighting and all the rest of it. And it's your tribe that's the most that you're trying, rather than a particular champion, it's your tribe that you're trying to bring to the top. So you're fighting for blood points as well. Blood points become quite important. If you have excess blood points at the end of the scenario, you can convert them essentially into campaign bonuses and stuff like that. And then depending on how well you've been doing the chances of dominating another tribe, you have to beat another force and then there's a test to see if you've dominated them. And basically, you have to dominate all the other tribes in the campaign. And once you've done that, you win. Again, it's a slightly different kind of format. And while you're doing this, you're gaining and losing territories to each other that might be, you know, could be just a, a, a lodge or a wilderness, or it could be like a sacred stone or a henge. And then each god has a special territory as well. So yeah, and then you get gifts, you get blessings and, and what have you from from their gods if you want. So it works quite differently because you're not uh, you're not like you're not running a, a, a war band of fighters tracking their experience and their wins and stuff. You're one step removed from that, so it's more. Uh, it gives you a different perspective. So you don't necessarily feel, you know, you don't always have to be using slain every game. You can, one of the things we've always been keen to do is get people to use their miniatures collection, you know, <laughs> so, and, and, and buy lots of miniatures, funnily enough. And, and this very much does that. You know, you can pick and choose which forces uh, you're sending into battle and that kind of stuff. And it also, because again, it's like, well, slain doesn't get killed. Mm. And Slough does get killed, but comes back and, you know, and, and that kind of stuff. So when we're dealing with these properties, these kind of stories, that's and an named characters in a way, you know, who lives and dies isn't important because actually by the power of plot armor, we know they'll survive to the next fight. And this kind of leans into that idea, you know, it's like, well, Slain is ready for the next battle if you want Slain to be ready for the next battle because he, that's how stories work. What's interesting as well, I mean, this one doesn't cross over directly into the other game systems in the same way that Dread and Strony Dog could, you know, you could put Strony Dog characters into Dread quite easily and vice versa and stuff, and, and you could potentially use each other's campaign systems with not too much fiddling. But this is this one is very much based in that cosmic battle idea and the feats and stuff. So although it uses the 2000 AD rules, it's kind of a little subset, you know, whereas actually the sci-fi versions of 2000 AD rules and their campaign systems are pretty interchangeable, um, this one. But it is essentially a territory-based game, so you could possibly tweak it slightly 
finding replace certain terms and make it work with chicanery and, and armory cards and stuff like that if you wanted to come up with a reason for a or, or do a block war for instance or sorry you know a gang war or something where it's more territory based and stuff like that mm. rather than the more legacy based system that's in dread that was one of the reasons in the same way that we didn't want the core mechanics stay the same but the way the game plays and the way the campaigns play we want to be different and offer people options of stuff you know if they might need a little bit of converting or they might just fit together very naturally but actually what we don't do is just repeat the shunting dog game mm. with the different names there's a different game it is a different campaign it's it plays slightly differently absolutely and i was just wondering for people who are maybe you know, new players to the game that are maybe considering playing a campaign i was wondering how long you think would be ideal would would the ideal balance i suppose just because we touched upon it earlier on the, the fact that there's the six scenarios would would that probably be the ideal thing that you just play, basically played them as a campaign or do you think shorter or longer or um i think it's an interesting one because yeah trying to trying to work out what what a how long a campaign will take because you don't want it too long it needs to be long enough that it feels like a campaign but you don't nobody wants the campaigns that kind of drag on and on and on and in this particular one the more players there are the longer it will take is quite straightforward because you just have to dominate all the other tribes. So if you've got five players of campaign, that's four other tribes you need to dominate. So it's just going to take longer. So the first thing is I just play with two or three of you. One, because you'll just get to know the game a bit better between you, but also the campaign won't last as long because it'll depend on the to and fro of the of the games, but actually eventually uh, somebody will, will get a bit of an advantage and then hopefully they'll make their roles and dominate one of the, the others and then go on to dominate the other. But yeah, I think if it, without if you don't want to worry too much about the mechanics side of it, just playing the, the six scenarios gives you a really good grounding in how all of the stuff works and actually uses blood points in interesting ways and all the rest of it. I mean, the campaign itself, it's a random scenario. You know, there's, as I said, it's, it's just pretty much um, once you know who you're playing, you just roll off and play the scenario that you roll up and then there's a little bit of, depending on who's bigger or smaller as a tribe, as who's attacker and defender and that's it really. So you don't have to worry too much about it. You could, if you wanted to, use the just decide to use the campaign system. But play, you know, if there's two of you, for instance, just play through a campaign. But then also just play through the six scenarios in order rather than randomly generate them. And then if one or other who's dominated the other one by the end of it, then that's cool. If not, well, you'll still see who who's got the the best score, the most territories and stuff by the end of it. And the other cool thing, <laughs> as with all the other ones, is you can use whatever models you want in a sense so that if you are earth tribe you can use slain and actually you can have another slain on the other side <laughs> um who's obviously their champion you know sloan or whatever um <laughs> in the same way doppelgangers l shapeshifter whatever because you know because again we didn't want to have to get people into worrying about who's got what models in their collections and stuff like that we just wanted people to be able to just get on and start playing really yeah have fun <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely but also on that, the starter set, the Kiss My Axe starter set, mm-hmm. have, you know, follows the same format to the Strong Team Dog one, Good, Bad and Muty, in that there are there's three kind of programmed scenarios in there to help introduce you to the game. Um, so they are scenarios from the actual game, but the difference is we just say, you know, like, give this character these boon cards, this character has this feat card, rather than random. So it's a little bit more managed, and the rules are introduced or the special rules particularly are introduced in a bit more of a measured fashion. So actually that's not a terrible place to start, just playing through those three scenarios as a starting point, and then maybe at the end of that going back and then playing those scenarios again, but just without the pre-programmed kind of card choices and stuff. So you'll see about how some of the other cards work and interact. Mm-hmm. 
think I've always enjoyed that in the, in the starter sets that it has kind of built you up. You start from a small base, a kind of small scenario, just to get used to the mechanics. And, and yeah, I quite like actually the, the predetermined cards as well. It's something I've kind of thought when I've been playing the system, maybe I should think about more when I'm doing the scenarios just to actually pre-generate cards rather than doing them randomly. But then I quite like the randomness of it as well because... You never know what's coming and you never know what you're going to face. Um, yeah, I think there's a bit of both there. I mean, it's not something we explored too much, but actually, yeah, using the cards as a basically scenario generation system. So, and, and the thing is, I think if you're going to do that, if, obviously we do it just to introduce the rules and stuff. But if you do that, you can actually break some of the rules if you want to and give somebody an extra armory card or an extra chicanery card that it wouldn't normally be allowed or uh, and use that as a way of creating... So between that, particularly Strontium and Dog, between that and the scenario system, but in this as well, you know, picking a particular scenario, like say if you want to recreate a specific adventure from the strip, allocating suitable feats and boons, and maybe even giving people a couple of extra blood points or whatever as appropriate, is a, is a great way of creating a very a refight scenario, I think, like I say. Whereas the way they work, the cards are meant to be a feeling of a, they are part of a scenario generation system that unfolds during the game, aren't they? Because it's like they are of that kind of import of like, aha, yes, I've got a time bomb, or oh, well, this is the point at which um, Lane warps out, and uh, you know, is he going to go full warp spasm or not, kind of thing. But yeah, there's probably an interesting article for Warlord there, I think, using the cards. You should write it. <laughs> Thank you. I'm happy. Yeah, I'll definitely think about that. And uh, certainly the uh, miniatures look beautiful, and uh, as usual, the, the cards are lovely. And uh, yeah, I've been seeing all good things about it. Um, so it seems to be quite well received by the, the community, which is which is always good to see. Yes, yeah. I mean, the uh, again, you know, just from each one, just you know, like Paul and uh, Paul Sawyer and the production and stuff side of it, are just learning a little bit more each time and stuff. So you know, Strongy and Dog look great. And so when you've got good art to choose from and so much catalogue of art and and things like that, and that's already half your job done. But actually. Just getting the style of it and a little bit more finesse. And Slane just shows that again. It's just a little bit more finesse in the way the rulebook's laid out and the art use and, and just small bits of presentation and stuff. But yeah, it's a fine looking product. And I suppose one last question to kind of wrap up would be, do you see there's been further scope for more miniatures to expand the Slane range further? And if so, I was wondering if there was any characters that you wish you could have had in the book which didn't feature? Yes, well, one of the bits that we've not, you know, we, we were touched on it, well, we talked about quite a bit earlier, which was like the whole Time War stuff that we didn't, I mean, there's things like, the stuff like the Dragon the Knucker and the Ghost Dragon and things like that, which just enormous models, which would be cool, <laughs> but I don't know how well, you know, I think we might have had them as cards for a while, I can't, and things like that, but it just didn't, just trying to work out how something that big would fit into essentially a skirmish game. But then, you know, that could be a nice one-off sort of thing. We have, you know, we've got things like there is actually you can actually have the worm crumb crack, or at least an, uh, an earthly avatar of it arrive and stuff. So there is some scope for bigger things down the line. But but yeah, it would be the thing we we didn't get into. We sort of started touching on the elves and there's some Fomorians and things like that because uh, they are part of that final battle of uh, saying the horn god kind of arc and onwards but actually the Sithrons you know the weird three-legged eye things and, and and the whole kind of time wars thing is an easily self-contained upset you know uh, you know Slane and his companions could quite easily just be a, you know can see that as a box or two mm. that added nicely into the range and and, and potentially uh with a slightly modified campaign system, because of course that one, because I think that's the thing is that's not that's not like a battle for territory. That's not the that, that's the cosmic war, but in a different way. So 
that's one where I'd see maybe adapting more like the Stronty Dog campaign system. So, you know, obviously not fighting for creds, but you know, having a slightly different campaign system, which you do have a more discreet group of warriors fighting each or groups of warriors fighting each other and stuff. But just in general, yeah, that's that's certainly the biggest area that hasn't been explored yet. I think that would be really exciting. So fingers crossed, Paul's listening. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, yeah. I'm really scheduled fairly, fairly full anyway, but we'll see. <laughs> so, no, that was really interesting and exciting to listen to. So thanks for sharing all of that with us and coming on again, Gav. I really appreciate it, giving us our time and talking so freely. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm sure I'll be back again at some point for the next one. Oh. Excellent. There's another one. Brilliant. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, yeah. Another Pat Mills special. So, yeah, I mean, this was, but this is this crazy thing because, of course, this has been, because of COVID and stuff, this was massively delayed. Mm. You know, Andy and I have actually finished the next one. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Writing the next one. Uh, but they've only kind of caught, you know, production and all the rest of it's only caught up. So, yeah, well, I mean, we, this is very much kind of dredging back two years ago now. I think when we actually worked on the slain rules and stuff so now it's coming out it's having to go back and reread stuff and like <laughs> particularly because well because basically because the next one is uh it's out it's been well not necessarily now but it's not a secret is abc warriors amazing which of course go, goes very much back to the strongly dog dread core game so this one you know slain is very much a departure in that essence uh, but that's been a lot of fun as well, but uh, more of the same. But yeah, that's further down the line. But um, trying to ignore that, <laughs> think back to Slane, has been interesting. <laughs> no, definitely. Well, thanks for that uh, uh, scoop there. That's that's amazing. Yeah, something else to look forward to. And it, 2000 AD continues at Warlord. That's that's amazing. Thank you so much for your time talking to us about Slane. I thoroughly enjoyed it and it's great to have you on the show and uh yeah hopefully we can do it again in the future thanks very much gav thanks for having me always a pleasure so for everybody else yeah there'll be hopefully some more podcasts coming up soon and uh until next time keep on living the life of die <laughs>